0: This podcast was produced on the land of the Gadigal people. We acknowledge their traditional ownership of this land and pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hi, welcome. My name's Harry Peters, and this is The Road to Find Out. So today we are joined by the super bubbly and super wonderful Young No, uh, who is a lecturer in biomedical engineering and is cringing at that description of him, even though it's accurate. Um, So Young is actually our first STEM guest on the podcast, so very exciting. And uh, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Thank you, Harry, for that introduction. Uh, My name is Young, uh, and I'm the deputy head of school from the School of Biomedical Engineering. And yeah, as you said, I'm a lecturer as well, and i uh focus on the area of uh biomaterials uh for my research, but most of my uh, responsibilities r- most of my responsibilities lie in the teaching space uh ensuring that uh the curriculum that we have for our biomedical engineering students uh help them prepare to be uh
0: good engineers uh moving forward into their uh professional careers awesome awesome so uh I imagine you studied biomedical engineering as yep. an undergrad, right? Could yep. You walk a, when did you do your undergrad?
1: Okay, so my undergrad, I started my undergrad in 20, 2008, eight eight, right? And uh, I did it as a combined degree. I did it as a combined degree. Uh, back then, it wasn't a pure biomedical engineering degree. It was actually a part of the mechanical engineering degree stream. And so my degree title is actually Bachelor of Engineering bracket mechanical bracket biomedical and also I combined it with a degree in medical science so I do have a combined degree medical science uh,
0: majoring in physiology. Damn pretty diverse
1: yeah. Yeah it, it sounds diverse but uh, we were exempt from a lot of subjects right so, so it's an engineering degree is a four year degree a medical science degree is a three year degree if you do it separately you can combine them to make it a five year degree okay awesome. yeah because there are a lot of there are quite a few interrelated uh, subject areas where uh, it's considered uh, we can
0: exempt uh, certain subjects from uh, the the two parts of the degree. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it that drew you to biomedical engineering or engineering more in general?
1: Right, so I do have a big passion for Lego. And and, and, um, I think a lot of the engineers actually... uh, consider Lego as one of their favorite hobbies, and, and uh, I'm also one of them, right? and I do have a big, as, as you s- uh, saw a few days ago. There are ago, worse addictions, right? <laughs> there are worse addictions, yeah, go as on. A, uh, I have a, a big Titanic uh, Lego uh, piece, uh, Lego um, set up in, in oh, my it's, office. It's it's
0: awesome, oh yeah, <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, and so I, do, I did have that sort of general sense of um, interest in just building stuff, uh, taking parts, uh, taking taking apart machines and devices as well when I was young. Um, And then sort of got into high school, naturally developed a sense of interest in mathematics and physics and engineering studies. But also at the same time, um, had this really wonderful teacher uh, at at North Sydney, uh, where she really helped me develop an interest in the biological sciences, especially around the human medical sciences and, and, and immunology, genetics and, uh, just the human anatomy and physiology as well. So, um, that really got me into biology, uh, and then, uh, coming from an East Asian background, there's always that sort of family, sort of cultural, uh, uh, sort of aspect where they, where people sort of want you to do medicine or law, right? Um, so, uh, so did you
0: feel that pressure to do medicine? There,
1: was, there was a bit of pressure and I think a lot of the East Asian cultures and also the South Asian cultures can relate to this, right? Uh, that, uh, your parents typically want you to go into the medical field, or um, let's say the pharmacy field, or uh, the law, right? So it's, it's a cultural thing, right? And I'm, I'm I'm probably overgeneralizing here, but I think most of the uh, audiences who are from those cultures can relate to this, right? And so I guess I had an sort of an interest in electrical engineering or mechanical engineering to actually begin with, right? To uh, to sort of uh, when I was deciding what kind of degree I, I was. Going to come into, and then uh, I came across this thing called biomedical engineering, right? where I was reading through the UAC guides um, mm. and whatnot, and, and and I thought, okay, this could be a uh, sort of a, a good compromise <laughs> between the, the, my uh, interest in the traditional engineering and, and 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 the biological and and the medical, let's say, the desire for for uh, the people around me to do s- to go somewhere into medicine, right? And so. And then also, sort of, more I read into biomedical engineering, the more interesting I saw. I thought uh, the, the the area was right, and so um, I was thinking perhaps we could probably do something with the brain mind I- interface. Right back then, it was still quite um, new, uh, or develop maybe some uh, some sort of solution to help with, uh, let's say, paralysis, or to help with any uh, central nervous system injuries, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spinal cord fractures, uh, and so yeah, that's where that's how I sort of decided to get into uh, biomedical engineering, and I decided to combine it with medical science because I thought uh, perhaps it will help me with the additional medical science knowledge. And and I think I was able to appreciate back then that um, engineering is uh, quite related to the applied science um, area, and so to be, to be really able to Going deep with the engineering, you also need to be quite uh, knowledgeable in the sciences. So, yeah, that's why I chose uh, and bi- uh, biomedical engineering and medical science combined. Uh, and and awesome. that, that my obvious high school finished two thousand seven,
0: uh, entered into university in two thousand eight. Yeah, and what yeah. were those undergrad years like? Was it a very social time? Did you? Think yeah, you it was, like
1: was very yeah? social. It was very social. Um, of course, we didn't have the pandemic, right, at yeah. um 2008. <laughs> and also, um, it was back when sort of Facebook was a cool thing, thing right? right. And now <laughs> it's not really, so it's, it's it's more about a political arena. Um, but, uh, f- yeah, Facebook uh, and also people actually called each other and texted each other too, like, right. over the years.
0: Uh, over, over so the do you think things have changed a lot over the past 10 years? The social
1: so? environment, yes, definitely has changed a lot. Um, for th- for it, the worse, or...? I wouldn't say for the worst, I guess it's different ways of adapting. I guess, or, or another word for that could be coping. Like it's, it's with the changing sort of technologies, what everyone else is using, uh, what what seems cool at the time. Perhaps it would probably uh, dictate a lot of uh, how how the students socialized. Uh, and so, yeah, it was. Uh, we, it, I guess, in 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 first year though, for me personally. Actually, up to, up to second year, I uh, had a lot of classes, right? Uh, engineering uh, classes typically, uh, like if you look at the timetable, you get scheduled uh, contact hours, like almost 25 hours a week, right? Yeah, it's and so it, it's quite a lot. You get a lot of practice and labs. Right? And so that, that kind of forces you to uh, sort of talk to people with you uh, like that sitting around you as well. Uh, and, and you do end up forming these sort of, uh, let's say, friendships or these acquaintances where you sort of see them quite often. Right, mm. um, uh, because you, you're in so many of these classes like maths and and, and chemistry and, and physics, uh, and so, uh,
0: and yeah, that sort of came naturally. Right? Yeah. yeah. Are you still like friends with the people you made?
1: I would consider them friends. I would consider yeah. them friends. <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure if they will still consider me friends. Uh oh, right. Uh, but uh, we 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 still we're connected with each other on LinkedIn, uh, and Facebook, and <laughs> the uh, most important. Uh, and and media actually, you no, know, it's actually yeah. quite important. Actually, that you bring up a good point because, uh. One of the things that you that students should try to aim to do is develop good relationships with their peers and colleagues, right? Because eventually, your peers and colleagues and yourself as all well graduate and, and work in the professional field, uh, no matter what degree you're in, right? And and those will actually act as networks you can ask uh, certain things or like ask maybe s- small favors or um, uh, do some collaborations perhaps as well. I'm good actually advice. yeah and 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 and. The thing is that I, I sometimes call upon some of my uh, uh, colleagues from my undergrad days uh, to, if they if they can uh, speak to some of our students in BME I- in biomedical engineering, uh, if they can speak to like do some guest lectures, uh, if they have any internship opportunities as well, the, I s- encourage them to uh, contact me to uh, to provide those connections. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's very important that I think. Uh, if you are able to, right, um, gener- uh, generate some uh, collegial friendships and, and uh, networks during your student days, right, and, and you can use, maybe not use, but you can, um, uh, you can exploit, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> not exploit. Oh, yeah. um, you can, uh, what's a better word than use and exploit? <laughs> you can rely on on right. on
0: them uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, awesome. So moving on from your undergrad, so you did, yeah, PhD in biomedical engineering, still at UC, still at UC. Yeah. Yep. Who was your supervisor?
1: So my supervisor was Professor Hala's Um yeah. Some of you actually might know her. She, uh, some of, some of you in the audience might know her. Uh, she received the NSW Premier's Woman of the Year
0: a couple of wow. years ago. Wow. Right,
1: uh, for her, uh, the her leadership in research for the bio- biomedical engineering, biomaterials and tissue. Uh, engineering research and she's
0: one of your colleagues right like she yes yes. yeah yeah Yeah. she's
1: she's a professor here at uh, the school of biomedical engineering at at the university of sydney yeah and And so i was her phd student i
0: also i was also
1: an honors student too i did an honors uh well engineering you do an honors year uh, as part of the embedded degree program so that kind of naturally led into the phd
0: program well, I imagine she must have had a big impression on you. Do you, was she a kind of mentor figure for you? Then? Yes,
1: yeah. definitely, and, and and she's inspired me a lot in, in a lot of ways. I have to say, um, uh, not just in the sort of the research, sort of the, the context and, and the knowledge aspect, but just um, how to act, how to behave in a professional setting, uh, how to uh, sort of how to establish collaborations, how to establish networks, how to talk with uh, certain sort of different. Uh, people within the field of academia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's helped me a lot. And, and she's also helped me quite uh, a lot in sort of helping me establish myself here at the School of Biomedical Engineering. Yeah, because yeah. you
0: have such a long history with you, because you've been here for the, what, past yeah. 15 years? Yeah, or so it,
1: I'm actually quite yeah. atypical, right? So right. I'm actually quite um, sort of unique in the sense that in, in the STEM fields, right, If the path to academia is often you do have to do a uh, separate... Uh, research uh, uh, contract, let's say, it's called postdoctoral research. Right After you do your PhD, you d- sort of do that uh, for a couple of years or a few years uh, elsewhere, right? mm. so that you sort of get the, uh, you develop connections, you develop networks over there uh, in, in a different country or a different lab, uh, bringing the know-how as well, and, uh, and then establish your own uh, uh, research area, pretty much. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm unique in the sense that I'm, I'm a teaching focused academic as well. Right, so I'm actually, uh, most of my uh, uh, responsibilities lie in, in the development and the maintenance of the uh, biomedical engineering curriculum, uh, both at the undergraduate and the postgraduate level. And I do a bit of research uh, with biomaterials t- to um, essentially uh, keep up to date right, with mm. the latest research and also to um, inspire uh, the, the current students right, um, to uh, help them explore
0: the latest in the biomaterial space. So am I right in saying that your main research focus and really what you teach is on synthetic biomaterials? So would you mind basically walking us through what that is?
1: Yeah, so just going back, uh, I do teach uh, a course in biomaterials. It is a core uh, unit in uh, the biomedical engineering degree for both undergraduate and postgraduate. And, of course, that's tied to the research that I do. Um, And so biomaterials... Uh, just a de- just a brief definition of what biomaterials is um, it's it's i guess it you, c- you could say it's a set of materials that can be used uh, to interact with the various components within the human body right and typically right we refer uh, materials we refer to biomaterials as materials that we can implant in, into us right and so uh, one of the most commonly used biomaterials in the clinical setting right now is titanium Right, titanium alloys, and they're often used right now to uh, to make dental implants, right? To make uh, the main components of the hip implants and also the D implants, right? And so titanium is one of the most commonly used uh, biomaterials out there, and and the reason why it's most commonly used is because it's it's very bio inert, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't react negatively with the human body when you put it inside, right? Um, uh, and if you actually treat the surface of the titanium right, it actually uh, integrates quite well with bony tissue, right. in mm-hmm. in terms of uh, forming a mechanical bond. Right. And so that's why we in a lot of these dental and uh, and uh, orthopedic applications that I mentioned, a lot of the materials, the, the main material that that is being used is titanium.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And there are other materials that are used in 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 the biomaterial space, uh, but uh, again, that's dependent on the application. Right. So I, I just given
0: I've just given a simple uh, uh, relatable example. Mm. So uh, there are some problems with the biomaterials that are currently being used, like titanium. Could you walk us through some of the difficulties that engineers are running in uh, running into when we inject biomaterials into things like bones or muscles or tissue? Right. Yeah. So
1: again, just to focus on the bone aspect, right yeah. um, With titanium, Right. Titanium is a metal, right, and metals, I think we could all appreciate, is quite strong yeah. right, and quite sort of hard. Uh, that hardness is actually, uh, an, uh, another word, term for that is stiffness. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that stiffness is actually an issue when it comes to bone, right? and, and, and that if you have a very stiff material interfacing with bony tissue, right. Right, um, that stiffness of the material takes away the load away from your natural bone. Right, and your, and again, just to uh, just briefly remind everyone that bone is a living tissue. Right, it's not a dead tissue. Uh, there's cells within the bone structure that helps with the remodeling of the bone. Right, mm-hmm. so it helps, uh, depending on the situation. Right, it helps with either strengthening the bone or weakening the bone. Right, the cells that are inside the bone rely on the the mechanical signals. Right, I like to call right stresses and strains. Right, so you need to actually stress, mechanically stress those bone cells for the bone to maintain its integrity and strength. Now if you have a material like titanium, like a metal like titanium that's quite stiff, that takes away the load from the bone cells, and the bone cells start realizing, hey, uh, we're not experiencing any stress anymore, we're not experiencing any strain anymore. And so then they start losing, well, they start generating these processes that uh, result in the uh, resorption or the degradation of bone.
0: Mm. Okay. and and then so is what it the happens a kind of like problem that astronauts have yes. in outer space with there's yes. not enough pressure on the yes. bone yes that it weakens. is it is
1: yeah. it does rely on the same principles right and so uh astronauts in space because there's no or well, less gravity in 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 the in the space or in space uh there's less loading on the bone right the cells realize that there's not enough stress they start um resorbing or or uh, the, resolve, the word resolving means reducing the mass of the bone, right? So right. Uh, the, the w- uh, they start resolving, right? and so you do get a, a weaker bone, and that can ultimately lead to fracture and, and broken bones if you add too much,
0: if you provide too much load after that has happened. Mm. So in your area specifically, you're researching alternatives to metals, right? So synthetic biomaterials.
1: Yes, so so uh, w- what we're trying to do is move away from metals. And, and another caveat here is that metals can't be used for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Metals have strength, right? They have uh, hardness and they can be used for, right now they're being used for, uh, as, as I said, applications where loading is very important and you don't want anything to break inside your body, right? So, And also titanium is quite tough as well.
0: So would that be something like a hip replacement? Yeah, yeah, where like a hip replacement,
1: knee replacement, dental yeah. implant, right? And so my research is actually in, uh, well, what, what I'm doing as part of my research is trying to develop materials that are for soft tissue, mm-hmm. but also require the strength. Right? So of course you can't use titanium rods to replace your ligament, or you can't use titanium plates to replace, uh, or, or to adequately replace the cartilage in, in between your joints. Yeah. Uh, right now what they're doing is they're using some some uh, plastics to uh, uh, create that cartilage environment in internal knee replacements and hip replacements. But the problem with them, Right, is they wear out, right? Mm. Because they're, they're, these plastics are also quite hard, right? So if you rub it, they start generating these microparticles, particles, uh, and mm. uh, and then you and those microparticles particles actually uh, generate uh, an inflammation response. Right? So uh, the cells recognize those particles as, hey, you shouldn't be here, right? We'll start getting rid of you.
0: So right? is that the immune system responding to it? Yes,
1: I- in the most general sense. In the most yeah. general sense, S- similar to how um, if you get a cut on your skin, right, and, and Maybe dust particles and, and other uh, sort of environmental uh, particles go into your cut, and then your cut starts swelling up or your cut starts sort of inflaming. Right? Similar case here, right? If you have anything that's generating wear particles due to the movement of the joint, and you've got a plastic that, rep- if you've got a solid plastic that uh, is acting as your cartilage, right, you'll um, start generating these micro particles, and essentially, those micro particles will generate an inflammation. Response and over time, that actually uh, uh, creates an environment within the joint or where, wherever that uh, plastic is uh, that is conducive to the degradation of the surrounding tissues because um, the macrophages or the, the cells that are involved in the inflammation system keep trying to destroy these micro particles because they can't, they just keep doing it, <laughs> right? And and then. Um, I- and because these, uh, the agents that the, ma- the, the cells of the immune system release uh, tend to be uh, quite acidic uh, quite, uh, and, and consist of degradation and degra- deg- degradation enzymes, right? um, uh, it, it
0: does d- damage the surrounding tissue. It also weakens the strength of the plastic, right? Yes, it also
1: weakens the strength of the plastic as well. Right? So um, with synthetic polymers, right, synthetic plastics, if you put them inside the body, and generally, these polymers tend to be strong as well, right? right. Because we want them to um, uh, sustain the load. Uh, typically, if you have a strong material, they have low degradation, right? And, and so they, 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 they have trouble degrading inside the body, right? And so what happens here is that the cells of the immune system try to get rid of this piece of plastic inside your body, right? They can't, they keep, as I said, they keep releasing these. Uh, degradation mediators or degradation enzymes, acids, right? and then what happens I- interestingly is is the molecular structure of the plastic degrades, mm-hmm. right? but the actual physical structure of the plastic doesn't.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So what that means is that um, because polymers or plastics, their strength is dictated by the strength of those uh, strength of the molecular chains that are within the uh, the molecular structure of the plastic if the enzymes and the acids start degrading those molecular chains I'll call them molecular spaghettis by the way uh, because they're made <laughs> up of a series of carbons
0: right, right? Uh,
1: once th- they start degrading right you lose the strength but you don't lose the mass mm-hmm. right? so the, the the plastic piece of plastic stays as it was before but it's 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 become weaker right so so um, and that's actually a problem when it comes to uh, any uh, plastic uh, implants that uh, you implant, whether it's for load-bearing or non-load-bearing. So mm. one of the things that I'm trying to do for my research is trying to find out ways where that degradation process can be at least minimized, right. if
0: not uh, uh, remove that uh, problem altogether. So if I'm understanding you right about plastics, like one of the difficulties is that they lose strength, um, that parts of it split off and then can cause inflammation in the body. But isn't it also true that um, with synthetic biomaterials, sometimes you actually do want it to degrade so that the body can take over, say, for instance, like in titanium, uh, because it doesn't degrade it means that bone can't regrow and there is enough pressure on the bone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess this leads us to sort of um, the, the holy grail or the biggest question, which is, uh, you know, what is the kind of alternative or like what alternative are you working on then?
1: Yeah, yeah, so with any engineering solution, right, you do need to take into consideration the application, right? And so with, let's say, for example, bone tissue, you want to replace a piece of bone or you need to fill up a piece of bone. The Holy Grail set of properties, I'd like to call, right? You need the combination of mechanical strength. Of course, it needs to uh, withstand the load, otherwise it will just fracture and, and, and start shattering everywhere inside your body. You don't want that to happen. Uh, but you also want the biological uh, properties where it does interact favorably with the surrounding uh, ti- surrounding tissue and the material. Right. So ideally, that can come in the form of mechanical integration where the tissue grows into the surface of the implant. or uh, or it can actually be a biochemical integration and that relates to uh, bi- degradation properties. Right. So y- you want the material to degrade in such a way that it, one, facilitates the biological uh, growth of, of the surrounding tissue into the material, and two, you want it to degrade in such a way that the material is naturally metabolized or mat- naturally degraded by the cells, surrounding that material and then in the place where the material used to be you want natural tissue to grow into right so that's 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 the holy grail for the bone tissue and, and that holy grail set of properties is generally applicable across the board within the body right so mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to musculoskeletal tissue applications so the research area that i'm currently mostly focusing on is again uh, the soft tissues like tendons, ligaments, and cartilage, and and, and the the squishy bits between your spinal bones, which is the intervertebral disc, Mm -hmm. right? And so for that, the holy grail, again, mechanical properties, Uh, you want to be strong, but there's an additional one with that, is that you need the squishiness. You need the squishiness because uh, these tissues, tendons, ligaments, cartilage, and your uh, intervertebral disc, they're undergoing a series of, loads that happen constantly, right, in a cyclic manner, right? Anytime you walk, there's loading on your cartilage, there's loading on your uh, uh, spinal disc, there's loading on your tendons and ligaments, right? So you want that squishiness as well, right? You you want that stretchiness uh, in in certain areas of of those uh, materials. And so you can imagine trying to develop something that's squishy, right, but also strong, that's w- that's already a, a contradictory uh, uh, set of properties, right? And you also need uh, sort of good porosity, right? Well, what I mean by porosity is you need to give space for tissue to grow into. Mm-hmm. Right? And actually, that's the same with bone as well. You want you want you want the natural tissue to grow into these spaces, right? And and the biology or the biological uh, interactions between the material and the cells does rely on the porosity, right? So you want the tissue to grow into these holes, right? So with the soft tissues, as I said, you need the mechanical strength, you need the um, squishiness. And ideally, again, you want the degradation, right? Mm. But then <laughs> those three properties is pretty almost demanding. Impo- it's, it's yeah. pretty demanding. And then you've got obviously the biological uh, properties too. You want, you want the material to be biologically friendly. You want the material to right. trigger or, or at least help with the growth of new tissue. Another problem with tendons and ligaments and cartilage and, and, and the vertebral disc is that they have actually have inherently poor repair systems, right? right? So with bone, if you fracture it, it actually recovers quite quickly. Six, six weeks, I think, is, is the general sort of number. A few weeks, and then you get your bone uh, healed. You put it in a plaster, right? And, and it heals, and it goes back to its original strength, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but with tendons and ligaments and cartilage and uh, the disc, if you damage it, it's very, the, the repair process is very, very slow and very, very
0: suboptimal, mm-hmm. right? So could you explain why it's such a suboptimal repair? Yeah. Say like in the, I don't know, the tendon between the palm and the wrist? Yeah, yeah.
1: so th- there's tendons everywhere in your body. So anywhere there's joints, there's tendons, right? So your right. wrist would have tendons, your knee has tendons, your ankles have tendons. The reason why I say the knee and the uh, ankle is because that's where the in- injuries ha- happen quite often. Um, and, and the reason why they're so poor in repair is because one going sort of go, going down to the fundamental biology they have very little blood blood vessels right. Right, compared to let's say the other tissues in the body and for for uh, the repair processes to occur you want a good flow of blood right it's where all the uh, the repairing things or the repairing factors come into play and help with the re- regeneration repair process another complicating factor with tendons and ligaments is that they're very heavy in collagen mm-hmm. Right. And the strength that the tendons and the ligaments and the cartilage and the vertebral disc uh, get is from the alignment of the collagen, right? The collagen, if you, if you, going, if you go back to what collagen means, there's just a series of proteins, structural proteins, uh, typically in the form of fibres, right? that uh, provide the strength in a given tissue. Right? And of course, with tendons and ligaments, cartilage, you want the strength, but you also want the squishiness. And, and these collagen fibres provide that strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the strength of those collagen fibres is also dictated by the alignment. During the repair process, if you, r- if you rip up your tendon or your ligament, that alignment of collagen is very poor. Right? Because the repair process is poor, it takes over a long period of time, there is no stimulus to help with the um, alignment of collagen fibres. Right? And so you get this very haphazard arrangement of collagen fibers within the, the broken area of the tendon and ligament or, or cartilage. And so y- it's, it's quite common, actually, you get a high higher rate of re-rupture right? Right. It, once you've started rupturing your tendons and ligaments because of the par- poor repair processes. Right, so with the research that I'm doing is I'm trying to develop these synthetic materials that can essentially replace the tendon and the ligament right, or essentially replace the cartilage right and of course uh, as I alluded to earlier there's the three properties that uh, the, 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 the 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 three uh let's say unreconcilable or irreconcilable uh, properties the mechanical strength the, the water content or the squishiness i typically uh, the, the scientific sort of aspect is the water content you want the water content to be high and the, the degradation right now i'm focusing on the first two right the the squishiness and the mechanical properties and, hoping and, and then perhaps working on the degradation later, right? And and then, of course, you need the biological properties, the fourth one, right? If you, if you can focus on the, these three, right, we could at least mitigate some of the issues that we have in synthetic polymers that we mentioned earlier. Right. right. Uh, and so if we can allow the biological tissue to at least ingrow, right, it'll help with the, the reducing of the inflammation response. It'll help with uh, reducing of the, the, the degradation rate and, and the impact that it ha- has on the mechanical properties. And so while the strategy is that we're looking into is essentially developing uh, fibre-reinforced hydrogels where the fibres are hidden inside the material, the strong ones, the strong, hidden, the strong fibres like uh, polyethylene or, or uh, polyethylene-based fibres, right, uh, they tend to be quite strong and they also tend to be quite bioinert. So we, we hide them inside, the material and the outside of that, we uh, create an environment for the cells to grow into, right, using the hydrogel or w- using the um, the softer f- jelly-like phase. Right, we right. can add different ingredients to that gel, or to d- you could add I- different ingredients to the hydrogel to help facilitate with the biological ingrowth.
0: So, what is hydrogel?
1: Just so hydrogel, you could think of that as just like a jelly. Right, right. jelly is a hydrogel. Right, um, jelly is a hydrogel that's made up of gelatin. Right, and and uh, what you can do with jelly, if you have the right equipment, it's not something that you could do at home, though, um, <laughs> is you could you could subject that to what we call freeze-drying, right, or dry it up. Essentially, it, it's a process where the structure of the jelly is maintained, but the water is evaporated, right? So what you end up having is a thing that looks like jelly that has no water in it, but if you look at the microscopy, or if you look at the microscopic structure of that jelly, it's got lots of holes, Mm. right? Right. So the physical structure of the hydrogel, if you take out the water, right, is essentially a network of um, polymeric chains or polymer, right? The the molecular spaghetti that I was talking about before, right? And and that porous structure helps with the tissue, surrounding tissue to ingrow, right? Of course, not all hydrogels can do that, right? There are specific uh, classes of hydrogels that we can use, uh, And the most sort of established one in the biomaterial space is polyvinyl alcohol, uh, also uh, polyacrylamide. There's these gels that have been extensively uh, being investigated uh, for biological uh, studies. And so, if we can then decorate those hydrogels with um, certain factors or certain additives, like whether that can be coming, whether that comes in the form of drugs or whether that comes in the form of other synthetic materials that can release like calcium ions or, or or zinc ions to help with the regeneration process. Right, we could decorate these hydrogels to help with the biological interaction. Right. So with these hydrogels that I mentioned, they're very they're, they're quite strong, but they're not degradable. Right. So that's that's still the problem. Right. The hydrogel is not degradable. The fibers are still not degradable. Right. But if we can establish a good biological interaction, right, where the inflammation is minimal, right, and the at least the surface is covered by the tissue that we want, mm-hmm. right? That can uh, delay the uh, the rupture that might happen due to the the presence the ever
0: presence of the inflammation response. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't have similar problems with plastic where it grows weaker and starts to split off.
1: So that 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 problem would be. Uh, not necessarily eliminate, eliminated at this stage, right? That, that's the holy grail. Like we want, we, we would eventually want that material to degrade in response to, or in correlation to the, the tissue ingrowth. But right now, uh, because there is no material that can do that, or at least for now, right, it's, it's trying to mitigate and trying to help with the biological interaction, but while still maintaining the strength, right? The, the key function that we want from these synthetic materials is to help with the loading on the joints, at the same time, Last long enough, right, so that uh, it doesn't, uh, you don't need to uh, remove them because they ruptured. Mm -hmm. Right, historically, actually, uh, let's go back with the history a bit. In the 1980s and the 1990s, people have been investigating the use of just plastic cords, plastic rope, right, with uh, uh, to replace synthetic tendons and ligaments. They thought, hey, this material is biocompatible. Right? We know that it, it doesn't generate any negative um, response, at least in the immediate term, right? And it's strong enough and there's no toxic stuff in it. Right? So let's let's try putting in, in, in tendons and ligaments. And for the first two, five years, it's fine. Right? It, it, it's able to bear the load, it's very strong. Uh, there's some sort of fibrous tissue ingrowth that helps with that fibrous tissue ingrowth happens no matter what, right? But of course the tissue ingrowth isn't optimal right it's just the natural sort of uh, the fibrous tissue that grows into it uh, but after 10 15 years right it, it snaps right, because of the uh, problems that I mentioned earlier the the, the, the persistent inflammation that uh, surrounds that material so going back to what I'm doing now again it's, it's trying to minimize that inflammation through controlling the biological properties of the material. If you can get the tissue to grow in much faster, or if you can get the tissue to grow in in a way that's much more biologically optimal, then theoretically that inflammation uh, would be minimized to a certain extent to help with the, uh, the longevity of the implant. Right. And that's what,
0: uh, at this stage, we can aim to achieve. And are you working on that with a team? Do you have a research grant for this or is it...
1: No, so basically going back to my main sort of area of uh, uh, responsibilities in the teaching space. So I do have Mm -hmm. a small research team of honor students, right? Uh, And uh, we're working on different materials, different combinations. You could could say different recipes to see if we can uh, generate this combination where uh, we could have good
0: squishiness good mechanical properties and good uh, biological properties yeah yeah and then in terms of a holy grail or like one where which a material Mm -hmm. which would meet all of the properties that would be good to have Mm -hmm. is there any sense of a timeline of when that might be feasible like decades from now or is it is there no real good estimate
1: i think putting my sort of research hat on there needs to be a breakthrough in the, mat- the fundamental material science where there can be a material that's strong, squishy, and degradable,
0: right? Because there's uh, nothing currently. That there's can nothing currently that, that
1: actually satisfies all three. Yeah. Right. Uh, or actually, all four. It needs to be biologically right. uh, compatible and, and also biologically active as well, preferably. Right. And so we need we, we can whether that is possible or not. Right. Again, is a different uh, question. Right. And that's why there isn't. Because that question is so hard to answer, that's why there isn't any synthet- uh, federally approved synthetic tendons or ligaments that we can use to completely replace tendons or ligaments. Right? There isn't any. There's there's one there's one construct uh, that surgeons can use to essentially stick it next to the ligament that's there. Right? That's ruptured. So let's say a ligament has ruptured, but most of the ligament is in uh, is there. Right? But it's disconnected at some point. There is a construct that surgeons can use in Europe and Australia where they, it, they stick next to that ruptured ligament a, a, a basically plastic cord right? um, that doesn't have any hydrogels or anything, it's just a, a, a plastic cord. And that, that, that has, that's, has been used and it's been working well in some cases, but uh, there's now some latest research into that material and there's, l- again, inflammation right the foreign body response right the the the, te- the technical term for the presence of the inflammation is the foreign body uh, response and it's characterized by the presence of certain cells right so well, if you see a lot of these cells I- in a histological image we, you then say oh this is going undergoing a lot of inflammation and and, and uh, unwanted degradation so there's a lot of there's actually quite a few papers coming out over the past couple of years saying that this construct uh, is is Generating these inflama- inflammatory responses, so you can't use it f- to completely replace a tendon or ligament, but it's it's approved to support, right? Mm. Uh, so that the biological tissue is still there, right? So going back to that comment about how there is no federally approved synthetic tendon or ligament that can completely replace the ligament or the tendon, right? Th- that the, the the fundamental reason for that is because there is no material, right? That that is suitable for that. Right? That's what we're trying to. That what, that's what I'm trying to work on right yeah and so actually um we had a patent on that a uh, few years ago I, I was the primary author on that the primary inventor on that patent and and um we've, we published an article on it as well you actually got some traction on reddit <laughs> <laughs> right out of all places right people all were right. commenting on how we need this and, and um and and one of the I'm a basketball fan as well, so one of, the per- one of the people, not me, I didn't post it on Reddit, all right, so I didn't post it pretending to be someone else. Someone else posted it up and saying that this could be used for like Achilles tendon ruptures, which is actually quite a big um, thing in basketball. Uh, yeah, but I'll, I wouldn't recommend that particular solution at this stage because uh, we still observed a bit of foreign body response uh, uh, and, and inflammation when we did in vivo animal studies on it. Right, but it's definitely better than having just a, 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 fi- a synthetic fiber. It's where we're continuing to develop that particular platform, right, to see if we can um, substitute at least the hydrogel or substitute the fiber fo- fiber if we can, right. If there's a new material out there, right, uh, that can also degrade and help with the
0: biological properties better. Right. Uh, awesome. So uh, we are approaching wrapping up, but. Uh, before we do that, I was just wondering, like over the course of your career, are there any unexpected scientific discoveries that you'd sort of stumbled into? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, I guess my career right now is quite sh- has been quite short, right? <laughs> I've, earned, I, I've my PhD. I was awarded that in t- 2017, so five years. But having said that, um, the synthetic tendon that I was talking about just a moment ago that I that we patented. Um, and actually this whole line of research towards synthetic tendons and ligaments was actually started when I was looking into injectable materials for bone repair, right? And typically with bone repair injectable materials, we look at the cements, right, injectable cements, uh, injectable scaffolds if we can, right? I was thinking, oh, well, let's try some hydrogels that could be strong, right? And injectable and self-setting. So you could inject it through a syringe uh, and put it into someone and Hopefully the bone repairs. Right. So we we're looking. I was looking into different uh, types of injectable self-setting. Hydrogels came across this one, tried it in the lab. It was quite strong. Right? So I, I showed it to uh, Hala, right, uh, my, my research supervisor at the time, and, and she was like fiddling around with her, this can be made into a collagen, this can be made into a tendon. So I was like, okay, okay, okay this sounds actually in- uh, possible. So I tried to make it into sort of a tendon or ligament, but... At that stage, there was no fibres inside, right? And so what I found was that it's very sort of soft and and very stretchable, right? It it feels like a tendon, right? If you think of a tendon or ligament, if you think of it as soft and stretchy, in actual fact, it's not. Oh, right. (laughs) It's very strong, right? It's very stiff, right? And so okay, I've got this sort of base material, hydrogel. Maybe we could just chuck some fibers and see what happens, right? (laughs) And so that's how it came out to be, right? Put some fibers in there. We know that ultra-high molecular polyethylene fibers are the strongest ones and also biocompatible and has been used in the clinical sense uh, historically. And so controlling the fiber content, controlling the hydrogel content, controlling how strong or how weak that hydrogel is, uh, controlling how we distribute the fibers within the hydrogel, um, and adding anything into the hydrogel to help with the uh, regeneration. So we put in a bit of uh, gelatin, uh, the, 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 the hydrogel we use for jelly, right? Uh, we put that in to help. It actually helps with the cell adhesion, right? So It helps with the cell um, integrating into the tissue. So we put a bit of gelatin on that as well. And we found that uh, if you put into uh, small animal studies, right, it does... Help with the uh, generation of the surrounding tissue with the tendon and ligament, and so we were able to get that patented and published. Uh, and yeah, so that was, I guess, one well, uh, uh, a example of a fortuitous fortuitous uh,
0: development yeah. in that. Right? Awesome, yeah. Uh, and the last question that we ask all our guests mm-hmm. is, um, "What is the best piece of a piece of advice that you've ever received?"
1: Best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, I'm typically the one that gives advice. You're actually, gives right, advice. Right, right, at least in the recent days, because I, I'm. Are also you saving a lot of first years? Then I, I've been talking a lot of first years. Uh, like over the past few years, I've been first year advisor, second year advisor, fourth year advisor. Um, I've also, i also also do the whole academic progressions advising as well. Um,
0: they get you to do a lot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's over the few over the past few years, and of course, yeah. being the deputy head of school for the education side sort of puts me into these positions where I have to do this. I I would like to give advice actually in the sense that th- th- is this actually <laughs> uh, I listen, I've, I've come across this advice on YouTube out of all places. Uh, uh, some of you might know this channel. Odd, odd ones out, no, uh, you know. All right, I don't know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right, that's fine. Um, yeah, uh, in that channel, he was talking about how uh, discipline before motivation. Right. Sometimes you might not be bothered to do anything, right? But that's not going to help you. So you need to be disciplined, right? You need to, um, if, the, if you have lectures scheduled or tutorials scheduled or assignments scheduled, do them at the scheduled time, right? Keep discipline, keep keep your uh, yeah, sense of discipline, make sure um, you do, you, you set your priorities straight. Uh, even if you're not really motivated at a given particular given time, right? If you help yourself to be disciplined at least, right? You get through that sort of, phase where you might not have the motivation to do a certain thing, right? and then that will ultimately help you um, in one way or another, right? either to get through your degree, right? or to get through the next assignment, or to uh, get through a particular sort of project or event that you're organizing or running right? uh, outside of the university environment. So uh, it's, it's a quote that's been stuck on my mind quite recently, uh, discipline before motivation. Right. I've never seen any students that fail um, a course if they've attended all the lectures or attended all the tutorials and submitted all the assignments yeah yeah it, it's very hard to fail if you do all those three actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. no. it, it, and then the students that do fail or get absent fail or, or uh, fail otherwise have not done one of those or more of those or one or more of those three yeah
0: yeah well awesome yeah. um That's been fantastic. I think we can wrap it up there. But I just want to say thank you so much again, Young. (laughs) Thank you for having me here. Um,
1: Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks.